You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Did you see one when you were there? Did you see any wild ones? I did not see the capybara, and that's more of a reason to get back there and make it happen, right? What can they teach us? Basically, the DNA of a capybara, their genome, their immune system is able to detect cells that might become cancerous and destroy them before they become cancer. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Are we covering birds today? That sounded Dogs. like a bird. Yeah. yeah. Uh, definitely a lot of chirping noises. Yeah. And then, of course, a, a bark there at the end. So a bird dog, man? <laughs> yeah, not quite. Not quite. But the largest rodent in the world. Yes. Those vocalizations mm-hmm. would not make you think of a rodent mm-hmm. at all. And mm-hmm. in, in fact, it's a capybara, the iconic South American mammal. Oh, my goodness. It is. It really is. It really is. And. Yeah, I, I know it's a fan favorite. We, we've had people request this. And, and what really the genesis of, of picking this one was, I, as everybody knows, it's been listening the last few weeks, I just got back from Australia and we're at the Corumban Wildlife Sanctuary and showing my kids all these wonderful Aussie animals. You know, look at all oh, there. There's the cassowary and there's the emu. There's the kangaroos. Here's the koalas. And my eldest is just sitting there on his phone taking pictures and videos of the capybara telling me how much he loves them. So I said, okay, buddy, this is for you, Rourke. So this is his episode that uh, he especially requested. But yeah, this I can't believe it's actually taken us this long to get to it. I know. Well, I want to thank Rourke from the bottom of my heart because I can say I have worked with a lot of animals and have been blessed to know different personalities of barn owls, mm-hmm. ball pythons, camels, all sorts of species of hoofstock. And I feel like I am missing out that I never worked with a capybara, that I never got to know one. Mm. I worked with a lot of rodents, species guinea pigs and Norway rats, and they all have personalities. And I loved being their caretaker at the zoo. But I never got to work with capybaras. And I just, 
after this week of watching video after video after video, mm -hmm. learning about them, looking at them. Oh my goodness gracious! Look at, I just I. I'm with Rourke. Yes. I, I'm in love, and I'm so glad to be talking all about capybaras this week. Uh -huh. And someday I'm going to go back and be a capybara keeper, uh, maybe at the at the wildlife park you're talking about in Australia. I don't know where, but mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm, it has mm -hmm. to happen. My I have to know a capybara in my life. Got I don't it. want one as a pet, and we will talk about that yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and yeah. that in the podcast for sure today. But I just I, I they are darling, and they are just. They're like, what are they? A water pig, a hippo, yeah, a beaver without yeah. a tail, a pig without a snout. <laughs> I mean, they're very unique. They're very unique. Even their evolutionary history is a little bit unique. So, so we'll get there. And we haven't done a rodent in a while. Do you remember the last one we did? Uh, beaver? Yeah. 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 Episode All right. Once, 161. It's been quite a while. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> we are definitely due. And actually learning about the evolutionary history of capybaras, I mm. found some other rodents that I had never even heard of that I mm -hmm. want to cover on the podcast. So. Well, I, I'll, and I'll just a preview, 42% of all mammals are, are rodents. Like, I, we that never That could be our full-time job. Yes. Of all it doesn't species. pay us. So we yeah. just have fun, though, all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, there's so many rodent species, so we definitely will cover more in the future. But the capybara, here we are, finally the largest rodent in the world. And before we get there, just a quick shout out to Andre. And by large, you mean large. Like Very if, large. If, if people are not familiar with the capybara, then you're, you'll be very surprised because large is like me. Yeah, they're big. They're big. And, and yeah, there's so many fun facts about them. They're just, they're incredible animals. But quick shout out. Thank you, Andre. Join us on Patreon this week. It means a lot to us. It's helping us. A cup of coffee a month. You know, we're getting this message out. And like Angie always says, you never know who the next Jane Goodall is. I hope she or he is listening and we're inspiring you to take action and possibly, you know, dedicate your life to conserving these species. So thank you so much. Yes. And you can always just subscribe, rate and review all creatures podcasts and iTunes or any platforms that you may use. Uh, the reviews are very helpful. And Chris and I always take into consideration any species you want us to cover whether it's through a review or, of course, through one of our social media outlets. And we have a really interactive and fun All Creatures podcast group on Facebook. So if you search All Creatures group on Facebook, you should be able to find us and join us and get involved in the conversations that we're having each week. For sure, for sure. But then just a quick reminder, we do are doing monthly lives. So Angie and I are doing one this week. So look for that for our Patreon subscribers. Check your emails. Uh, and we will be sending out Zoom links for you to join where you can talk to us face to face and let us know what you want to hear. So you said large. Uh, you do want to start with the sizes? I mean, I think you have okay, to. Chris. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, they can be up to a meter and a half or 1.3 meters, which is about four, four and a half feet. So you're a little bit taller than that, but. They weigh up to 175, 200 pounds, 80 kilograms. I know you don't weigh that much. I mean, maybe when I was pregnant, but, <laughs> yeah, but I, mean, I, mean, I had really big boys and I'm very tall. So, you know. Yeah. But yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. But he has big, right? Yeah, like on yeah. average, 145 and yeah. pounds. That's yeah. They're big. 77 kilograms. For a, rod a rodent. A rodent. For a rodent. Yes. Right. 
Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And if they're in there, they can stand almost up to two feet or 60 something centimeters at the withers. So two feet tall, over four feet long, 175 pound rat rodent <laughs> coming at you. So very, very big, but very pretty. I mean, the little ones are just like, oh, so adorable. Like I said, I got caught up in a lot of YouTube videos where I wasn't really getting any more information. <laughs> and on them, I was just watching them move and interact and the little ones, oh, just they're darling. I mean, to give the description for listeners that aren't familiar with capybaras, their fur is usually a brown, reddish brown color and it covers the body and it can turn a lighter brown or yellowish brown on the belly. Some of them have a little bit of black on their face on their high points. And the capybara's face is just darling, too. They don't really have a really long rat-like snout. It's more a little bit blunted, but they definitely have a nose where you just want to poke at it and go, boop, Mm -hmm, mm because it's it's darling. Mm -hmm. And they have smaller black eyes and cute rounded ears, which we'll talk a lot about their nose and their eyes and their ears and how it helps them out. And it's one of their adaptations for their semi-aquatic life because- Mm -hmm. These rodents spend a lot of time in the water, and we'll touch on that a lot during behavior. So they they have a, almost a hippo face mm-hmm, in mm-hmm, some and, yep. and some convergent evolution type of way because everything their nostrils and their eyes and their ears are all runs across the top of their face for when they are swimming they need to come up and get air. But their body is just what does it for me. I I love a good round pudgy body and the capybara definitely doesn't disappoint. It has a big barrel shaped body, really sturdy mm-hmm. and it's tailless too. Mm-hmm. So we typically think of rodents. If you think about a mouse or a rat, which of course the rodent family, as Chris mentioned, is very big, but the capybara falls into the category that has no tail. So they have a nice rounded rump that's big and brown, and I just love watching them uh, run towards me and run away from me. They're super (laughs) cute. And their legs, just very unique. The front legs are a little bit shorter than the hind legs, and then they have these partially webbed feet that become very obvious when they're walking. You can see the webs in between them, and this, of course, these webbed feet also are very handy for their semi-aquatic life. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. really just... I don't know. For me, Chris, it's the nose. Uh, I just you've been talking about noses lately. Yeah, I love animal noses. I know it's so funny. I uh, I taught Maddox with, uh, of course, our dog Rainbow Mm. and Romeo the horse. He touches their noses and he goes boop. (laughs) It's pretty (laughs) cute. cute. It is cute. cute. He is cute. And I want to. I mean, I know that I can't touch a capybara and I won't ever. Mm. But like that would be a nose I would want to boop. Yeah, (laughs) as they run into the water. Well, yeah. here's something you may not know. There's two species of capybara. I did now, not know that. Yeah, they used to think it was a subspecies, but then genetics and maybe an evolution. I'll touch upon it again. Uh, but the lesser capybara, and it's about a third smaller than the the, the normal regular capybara that we think of. Okay. Now, the the lesser capybara is in a very small range in Colombia, parts of Panama. In Venezuela, but they're actually hard, having a hard time finding them in Venezuela because they are hunted by people for food. So maybe not as many there, but there are small segments of them. The large copybara, the, the general copybara, massive range. I mean, all throughout the Amazon, 
Brazil, reaching down into Argentina, over into Ecuador, Peru. You know, they're just on the eastern side of the Andes Mountains, but mm-hmm. massive, massive ranges. They they live different types of forests, the tropical rainforest, the savanna forest. Just you're always going to find them near water because of the semi-aquatic lifestyle. So whether it's rivers, swamps, ponds, marshes, you're going to find copybara there in South America. I, I got I to gotta ask you before we get you know really into this. Did you see one when you were there? Did you see any wild ones? I did ones? not see any no. capybara. And that's no. more of a reason to get back there yeah. and make it happen, right? This is yeah. what I'm saying. One of my new favorite animals, at least for 2023 so far. And I, I didn't see one throughout all my travels. And I spent plenty of time and not in Colombia. I have to get back there with mm. my buddy, Anna, for sure. But uh, I spent a lot of time in Venezuela, Brazil. Peru, Ecuador. You saw so. river dolphins though, right? If I remember right. I did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. On, on the Amazon river. So, yeah. but it's so, we were, it, it's so massive that we weren't really mm-hmm. by any of the the banks. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I feel like that's, if you were going to see them. That's where they'd probably be. See them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, it's definitely on the bucket list for sure. And Chris, I have to mention too, since I live in Florida, I have not seen a Florida capybara. What? At the zoo? Yes. No. No. <laughs> Interesting. Leave they're, it up to they're, Florida. They are not in the Everglades, are they? Actually, no. They're further north. Our least latest sightings uh, okay. are there, but it's all through central, south, central Florida from the Gainesville area that I am in. Are you kidding me? Back in Gainesville, we had Capybara. I didn't even know that. Paints yes, Prairie, the last, right there. The, la- mm-hmm. the last sighting in our area was 2016. So, okay. I mean, definitely while you were here, there was some being. That's I guess, inc- uh, insane. And all the information that I collected was from the Florida Fish and Wildlife, and mm-hmm. it's very fascinating. And I definitely went down a deep rabbit hole of like clicking on every because they have interactive map where it'll tell you the date and the time and if there's a photo mm-hmm. of it. And some of them are roadkill. Some of them are just That's straight insane. up grazing. And they think that they may have escaped from a wildlife park. And uh-huh. so. Well, you most, did talk about them as pets. So that's another thing. Well, I, yeah. I mean, anyways, it's, uh, they didn't really, you know, they didn't, they didn't mention any names of, of Who, where uh, or anything. John. But, <laughs> well, he doesn't have that as zoo. So yeah, no, <laughs> definitely wasn't Santa Fe College teaching yeah, zoo. Yeah. So, but what's interesting is the most recent sightings in 2022 were further south, which makes okay. sense that they it's cold up here for mm-hmm. a South American rodent. And our waterways get pretty cold too with these springs. And so from the interactive map, most of the recent capybara sightings were in like Tampa, not sorry, uh, like St. Pete area. And then moving towards like the Naples, that kind of stuff, Orlando. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, oh. yeah. I mean, even with all the gators and the predators there, that's, I mean, they have to deal with that too in South America, but. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and so as far as, according to this, is like I said, Florida mm. Fish and Wildlife, the population size trends and impact on native, native species is unknown. Uh, they're not reported breeding in the wild and sightings are not common. So the, I think the list, these sightings date back to like 2000 and obviously mm-hmm. for 20 years. And there's probably 30 on there or 40, but well, they don't think breeding's common, but too, obviously yeah. they think the breeding population might exist. Yeah. So. Well, I, I could see, you know, that you confusing them for wild pigs too, because wild pigs are pretty, something we have to talk about in a future podcast. You know, we cover like a wild boar 
Sure. Now that are, I've seen in Florida, yeah, and I, yeah. I see, I've seen him as roadkill. I've seen him yeah. on the road at the far on the way to my, the farm the where I ride. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, have they, not seen a copy. They copybara, don't belong there, Angie. They don't belong no, there. No, they don't. No, and they, they really, they don't. And uh, <sighs> I have, like, I have to think yeah. that they'd be not as damaging as a Burmese python. But gosh darn, Florida well, is just like. They can. I mean, the the beavers that they introduced in South America are devastating to the local f- plants mm-hmm. because they do chew like crazy. The copybara, you know, why care about them? They're hugely important to the ecosystem in South America. They, this is crazy to think about, like because you know we think of grazing species. So in North America, uh, where you're at, you have deer and elk, and go further north, you got moose. You have these massive herbivores. In South America, a lot of parts you don't, you just right. don't, and mm-hmm. so the copybara is the largest herbivore. You're having an impact on the vegetation there, mm-hmm. so they. They have a very important role in their ecosystem. Obviously, they're a prey animal. To put them in Florida or parts of the United States, I mean, it's just another species competing against all the native species there. They don't belong there. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. Florida. I, I think the more the question we should ask, like, what species don't live in Florida? I know. That's <laughs> true, too. Yeah. That's true, too. Uh, it is. So, yeah, that's an interesting fact I had heard a while ago, but... Yeah, I haven't seen one, and uh, it was really interesting to play around with the interactive map and potentially see that in, like, 2015, there was a sighting five miles from my house or something. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, uh, I, I mean, I don't doubt it that they're they're there, but uh, all right. Well, this week, I, I just briefly, because there's a lot to get into with behaviors and the fun stuff with Capybara, but I, I did want to highlight a little bit more in South America. Obviously, uh, we always talk a lot about the Amazon. And we've talked a little bit about climate change. So I did run across this this article uh, from earth.org, and it was the five environmental issues in South America in 2023. So oh, in the start yeah. of this year, these are five things that we really need to watch for in South America and really highlight and make some uh, changes in, in what's going on. And obviously, of, of the five, number one's deforestation, right? We talked about the, the Amazon, even... This last Brazilian president I read, not the one that just got elected, thank God. He did, I don't think people realize. I tell everybody, you don't realize how big that was for the planet. But even in his last six months of office, the, the one that just got kicked out, deforestation went up like 150%. Like they accelerated knowing he was going to lose. So they went and did a lot of clear cutting with that. But one that I wasn't sure about and you probably drove through it or near it was the grand chaco which is the continent's second largest forest in argentina paraguay and bolivia because i know you said you went to bolivia yes Uh, yes Mm -hmm. uh, and it's lost more than one-fifth of its forest size since 1985 so not only are we focused on the amazon we're also focused on this forest because again these large companies, these aren't small-scale farmers. They're the ones that are suffering, too, for this. These large commercial farms are coming in, bulldozing the land for raising soy, beef cattle, uh, and other things to support livestock. So that is a, a force. I really, I, I haven't come across that, really. Maybe I've read it before, but the Grand Chaco is another one that's under a lot of pressure there. Now, number two is erosion. 
we talked about this in Madagascar. I have no idea which episode it was with the satellite images of all the soil erosion being washed out into the ocean. They're seeing this in South America because when you remove forests, these deep roots, all these plants that hold the soil together, rainforest, it's going to rain. A lot of rain comes in, washes a lot of this land away where you lose all of those soil nutrients. So it's actually putting South America's food security at risk. So that's where they're saying, look, you can't keep doing this. You're going to lose all the soil. You're, you're going to be starving. Yeah. yeah. And we're seeing the desertification all around the planet with monoculture and some of these other things. So that's a big one. Glaciers melting. I know we've talked about this before in the Andes because the temperatures are, are going up. We're seeing gl- glaciers retreat. We see it here in New Zealand. Right. You, you always think of glaciers in the Arctic. Or no. the Antarctic. Yeah. Like way up, like way out of sight yeah. up nope. north or way out of Mm-mm. sight down south. Mm-mm. But yeah, I mean, think about that in the Andes. And I mean, South America is obviously a huge yeah. continent. Yeah. But that mountain range and yeah. Those, yeah. You've seen the photos like the, mm-hmm. the glaciers 20 years ago were at the front of the valley. Now they're way in the back of a valley. You know, they've lost all of that ice mass. They retreated. Sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Greenland. We're seeing that in Greenland. Like I said, here in New Zealand uh, and the South Island, our glaciers are retreating. So around the world, we're seeing this. So that's a big one there for them. Water pollution, water scarcity. I think we just talked about this recently in South America. So polluting their waterways, mining, you know, a lot of uh, gold mining, putting mercury in the water, all of that. Illegal. A lot of illegal stuff going on uh, is a big problem. And then sea level rise, again, with climate change, it's going to impact the coastlines of South America. So the good news is it's, it's highlighted. Scientists are talking about it. They're pushing for reform. Again, this election in Brazil was massive for, for all of us. So we're going to see some green policies being implemented. They're going to slow down the rainforest bulldozing that's going on. And hopefully other countries follow suit. So that's what's going on down there. I mean, that and a lot of this is probably around the world. We're seeing a lot of these same trends. Chris, I think that's a really important list, and we'll go ahead and post it on our show notes, too, hmm. if our listeners want to take another glance or share it with some of their friends, because it is. It's, it's things we need to, that we should have been thinking about already, but we mm-hmm. need to continue to think about as we move forward in this new year and, and in the next couple of years. Yeah, for sure. For, it was the Five Environmental Issues in South America in 2023, published by Earth.org, and it was written by Keegan Carvalho. I hope I said your last name right. It was just published in January 2023. So yeah, please read that. Now we're moving along. We're making we're making good progress, so we can get to the fun stuff of behavior. But I think evolution's fun. So bear yes, with me. Yes, no, rodent evolution's great. <laughs> it's, it's, I just, it's I'm putting fun. my seatbelt on. Yeah, it's awesome. it's fun. You sent me some photos earlier. Oh this week. yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I found something that's going to be fun to talk about here in a minute. So capybara, there are mammals, right? Of over 5,500 5, species, plenty to work with. The order is Rodentia. So 2,277, I'm sure that list is bigger now, uh, species of rodents, about 42% of all mammal species are rodents. And we haven't covered a while. So We've got we our work cut out for yeah, us, Chris. Yeah, they're fun. They're fun. Now, this is probably a lot of people's favorite families, and they don't realize it. And that's the caviar day. 
And these are rodents native to South America. And the reason I say that is because you said you worked with them. In that family is the KVs, or also what's known as, do you know? Do you know? Oh, I do. Little ones? Guinea pigs. Yes. Yes. So guinea pigs are related to capybaras. It's so amazing. I have a I have a good friend here, Nick. He's got like twenty of them. He, it's just uh, yeah. Uh, I worked with five at the at the children's yeah. zoo, so they were educational, and mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm, I loved them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were great. Yeah, so they're you know the subfamilies KVs. So guinea pigs are part of that. So within the the Kevinay subfamily of guinea pigs, there is thirteen species. Then there's a, a subfamily of two species of Dolichinae and Patagonia and Chicoan maras. That's a new one for me. So a new rodent species. And then the subfamily Hydrochorus. And this is where we find our two species of Capybara. And then also two species of Rock Cavy. So. Well, Chris, I usually don't do too much with evolution, mm-hmm. but I somehow found myself on a Caviomorpha page. And that's their, <laughs> the, the power of order of uh, the Capybara. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this family includes chinchilla rats, hutitias, never heard of, mm-hmm. guinea pigs, love them, capybara, this is going to be an awesome podcast today, yeah. chinchillas we covered many moons ago, mm-hmm. and that was a super fun podcast. I highly recommend listening to it. They are actually endangered, even though I know they're used as pets and stuff, but the actual wild populations is, is in serious trouble in Patagonia. Okay. Vizcacha. Never heard of. That's like their rabbit. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No. Yeah. We've talked about them. Yeah. Yeah. We, we got to cover them. them. Yep. A uh, tuco tucos. Mm-hmm. Never heard of them. Need to cover them. Agoutis. I've heard of. Would mm-hmm. love to cover. Pacas. Darling. Never heard of them. Need to cover them. This one, Chris. Pacaranus. Oh, I've not heard of that one. Nope. It has the face of a capybara, but the body and a tail. Like it kind of reminds me of a, a qual that we covered okay. last week. Yeah, yeah, okay. It has okay. white polka dots on it, mm-hmm, like the mm-hmm. qual. Okay, so there's that spiny rat, and then New World por- porcupines. So we've covered porcupines mm-hmm. before. The koipu and octodonts. That's a ton of them. There's so many species. So, but I just learned like about ten new species. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know anything about any of the, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, so fun and so unique. Yeah. Rodents. I think we might need to turn this into a rodent podcast strictly. (laughs) At least for a little while. Yeah. Then we go to birds. Then we're like, oh, we got to cover all the birds. Then we go to fish. And then we're absolutely always blown away. Mine's blown. Sure. But that's why this podcast is fun. I mean, because I obviously you and I do know a lot about animals. We've got Mm -hmm. masters and PhDs studying animals. Yeah. But boy, there's sure. I sometimes feel like there's. But boy, it sure is fun to stay curious and to learn about these creatures mm-hmm, I'd never heard mm-hmm. of, or they don't get as much attention as some mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. the more popular ones. And mm-hmm. so, yes, it's going to be my life mission to make sure that everybody knows about uh, Tuco Tuco, yes. Apacas, Apacaranas, <laughs> yeah. uh, Koipu, and Octonauts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's some cool ones. There are some really cool ones, and. Octodonts, I just, octodonts. I don't. I'm yeah. not even saying these right because I don't. I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's so fun. Yeah, the Patagonia cavy. Do yourself a favor and look that up on Google too. Beautiful looking animal. <laughs> well, looks fun to 
to cover. We will cover some of these uh, in the future. So of the two species, you have the copybara, the lesser copybara. Copybara is Hydrochorius hydrocaris. And then the other one is Hydrochorius isthmus is the lesser copybara. Now, like I said, the lesser copybara they thought was a subspecies in the early 1900s, but genetics now says now they're pretty different. So they definitely are a, a two species, even though little debate in science as always. Rodent evolution goes way back early, early mammals. Earliest mammals looked like small mice. I mean, you're talking 195 million years ago. Hydrocodium woo uh, was one of the very first ones that we found fossils of. Uh, but rodents themselves did not really evolve as a family or an order until about 80 million years ago. And kind of like with the lagomorphs were emerging, that's when rodents were emerging. And obviously being small, they can hide. There was some, I think that's the reason we have so many species of them because they were able to survive not only the mass extinction that killed off the dinosaurs, but just predation by dinosaurs and, and other ma- larger mammals. So I think that's why they were they were able to evolve these strategies to survive and, and have done very, very well because we find them all over the world. But they started evolving. Would you even know of all the continents? You always think North America, but I no. do always think North America, yeah. uh, but I feel like, no, you're giving me the... Uh, the uh... <laughs> Uh, so Let me, here we go. Here we go. Uh, for, for people that have listened to this podcast for a long time, I'm going to quiz you too. Raft vegetation is your hint. So when I say raft vegetation, there was a podcast. We talked about how th- these animals got to a certain continent. Mm-hmm. Africa. To, yeah. So they evolved in Africa. Ding, ding, 80, ding, 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 80 million ding. years ago. Good. Because it was things that we were talking about when the primates and they thought that they came over on vegetation rafts, probably when the Atlantic Ocean wasn't so spread apart from it from itself. Sure, you know that there was there was an ability to travel across the sea on a vegetation raft and then land on this new continent of South America. Very similar. That's when the Copybara's ancestors arrived in South America about forty million years ago. So that's when when we first find them. Now. The copybara, when they get there, or the earliest, earliest ancestors of rodents get there, of these caves, there's no predators. So it's like Madagascar. We go back when I talk about the <laughs> lemurs coming across on a raft vegetation from Africa to Madagascar. They get there. They have this big party. If anybody that's watched the movie Madagascar, so I imagine all the lemurs having a big party. And then the fossa came, you know, and then the party's over. So... These rodents get to South America and there was no predators. So this allowed them to get very big. So -hmm. they grew and grew. Then what was interesting is is the DNA is revealing a lot about copybaras and how they were able to get so big. So they found that they have a very, and this is getting a little dorky, but. but, Oh, bring it, Chris. Chris, there is a reason I'm bringing this up. Okay, and so this this largeness of the copybara has an interesting story behind it as far as how it affects like human medicine. So here's a reason to why I care about these animals again. In larger animals, we have a lot more cells, right? So you think of an elephant, massive, 
way more cells than I have in my body, right? And I'm a big guy. I'm, I'm six foot five, 230, 235 pounds. So I'm, I'm bigger than a copybara, but big, right? Larger animals, we would think, have a more likely chance of developing cancer with that many more cells. And that many more cells dividing. Right, right. right. So you would think elephants would, would be able to have more likely to develop cancer. And we find that they don't. And it's actually right. a, a paradox. It's called Pedo's paradox that large animals have an ability to fight off cancer. And it was it was exciting to run across this with the Before it even starts. Yes. Yeah. And, they don't get it. Like I got, elephants don't get cancer. It's crazy. No. And I got super dorky and excited. And I sent this to Angie. And I was like, oh, my God, you got to read this. Because the researcher I was working with in Florida when we were doing our elephant studies was one of the ones to help discover this, that in elephants, they actually have cancer-fighting ability in their cells and in their blood. So they were able to detect a certain protein or something like that. Yeah, the way I read about it is that in Asian and African elephants, they are better at spell-checking their DNA for mm -hmm. errors when they divide. Yeah, yeah. So because they're better at spell-checking, that reduces the number of mutations, mm -hmm. cancer-causing mu mutations from them. And then the other cool example of this pedo's paradox in large animals that don't get cancer, an even bigger animal that we covered yeah. a very long time ago, mm -hmm. the bowhead whales, mm -hmm. similarly don't get cancer. And they have evolved a different mechanism to basically keep the DNA checked and not mm -hmm. let it get all filled with mutations. So. Yeah. Yeah. So what's this capybara yeah. doing? So, well, it, not to get into the dorky science, it's, it has a lot to do with insulin and they have a different form of insulin that helps control blood sugar. But basically the DNA of a copybara, their genome, their immune system is able to detect cells that might become cancerous and destroy them before they become cancer, you know, and run out of control. Right. But that's incredible because... Cancer immunotherapy is an incredible breakthrough that's happening mm -hmm. with several different cancers where researchers are basically using immunotherapy treatments to fight cancer and really seeing some great results with that. And the capybara is just hanging out doing it. It's, exactly. just, ch it's just chilling by the river. And mm -mm -mm. It's like, I, like it, oh. I think science... Like, I know. Nature it is, is just incredible. It's, it just, is. it's just incredible. And it what we is. can learn from it. Exactly. And obviously, besides them being super cute yeah. and all that, but yeah. just, I mean, there might be some really awesome secrets that they'll unlock that can help us. And I know. I, I mean, at my age, I mean, I've lost loved ones to cancer Me too. and Me too. it runs yeah. in my family. And yeah. I mean, almost everybody's been touched by it some way, shape, and form yeah. in their life. Yeah. And not capybaras. <laughs> no, no, or <laughs> elephants just... or bowhead whales. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so it's just another reason that, you know, we, we do this, not this podcast. And that's, that's the selfish view. The human selfish view is save these species because we can learn things from them and we can be better ourselves and, and help fight some of these diseases. But yeah, I thought it was fascinating. I want to keep going. I, I have this amazing, amazing, I would laugh when I even see this picture of this creature I'm going to talk about here in a minute, but I think we need to take a quick break before I do. So stay tuned. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 
Six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. I sent pictures of this to Angie when I found it because I, I, I'm sure we did not cover this before, but the largest rodent ever. And it it is a mass, I'll just say it's a massive, massive copybara. You see the pictures and you're like, oh my God, the stuff of nightmares. Well, because of the time change between Florida <laughs> yeah. and New Zealand, yeah. I usually get your, it's like 1130 and I should be sleeping yeah. and I'm like looking at my phone. I'm like, oh, good gosh. Okay. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is called the Joseph Artigazia Manensi. It is, they found a skull in Uruguay. Uh, so it's about 4 million years old. And the skull was about two feet, about the size of a beef cow. So the estimates of the body length of this giant copybara was close to, to eight and a half, nine feet. And they estimated weighed about a thousand pounds. So you could imagine this cow size, large rodent that had a bite force of over 5,000 newtons which is like the largest by force of any road ever. That's crazy. Of our large crocodiles don't even have a yeah, by force yeah. of that. So if you can imagine this thing running around about 4 million years ago in this giant, massive copybara the size of a cow, there you go. Factoid of the week. Gotta love them. Gotta love rodents. Now, just some fun facts about copybara. I mean... They can live up to, what, 10, 12 years under human care. Sure. And for a rodent, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. Uh, in the wild, six, seven, eight years maybe. You know, it's it's a hard life out there in South America. You've got- Well, and part of their their niche, their ecosystem role is being prey for several yeah. larger species. Mm-hmm. Yeah, jaguars, pumas, anacondas. We just covered them. Ocelots, caimans. And then even humans. So sure. yeah, it's a little little tough life out there. But and I've seen it. I it, Planet Earth or one of the the David Attenborough voiceover. There's been so many lately, and I love them. I love them, and and love that he's still with us. Knock on wood. Uh, there was a scene of a jaguar hunting copybaras, and they they the the noises they make, the barks, the alarm calls. They see him and they're in the water so fast. Like they run up to 20, 25 miles an hour, something like that, to 35 mm-hmm. kilometers per hour, almost as fast as not, not a quarter horse, but you know, his horse is running really Romeo. fast. Yeah. Romeo, your horse, <laughs> but they are, they are super quick straight into the water and the Jag gave up. And I think that's the one where the Jag goes and gets a Cayman. He's like, all right, okay. this is easy. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yikes. Right. Jeez. Imagine that. <laughs> 
But they are crazy good swimmers, right? They're like amazing. Yeah, they're semi-aquatic. I mean, capybaras are built to swim. They have those partially webbed feet. So there's four toes on each front foot and then three on the back. And so I watched a video of them swimming. And Chris, underwater, they almost, they like walk through the water, rock run. And it reminded me so much of how hippos move under the Mm -hmm. water. Mm Mm-hmm. Very, very similar and just just made for the water. And if you look, of course, at their face close up, you can really start to see the adaptations. Their facial features that, once again, remind me of a hippo because their eyes and their ears and their nostril are all found near the top of their head. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. when the capybara is in the water, it just lifts out those parts from the water and it can see and it can hear and it can smell, and it can take a breath, and then it can go back under the water and mm-hmm. stay hidden. And so just a really brilliant way to, to get away from predators. And we'll talk, too, about how they do a lot of their foraging, actually, in some of these semi-aquatic plants as well. Well, Chris, what also blew me away about capybaras and their semi-aquatic adaptations is that they can stay underwater for up to Five minutes. And that's for a rodent. That's nuts. Five minutes. Yeah. So that, yeah, that jaguar does not have a chance if they go in the water. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'll do the caiman. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So just easier. really, really built for the semi-aquatic lifestyle. And, the, you know, the fact that they went, I, maybe they came from the water. I, they most likely probably went into the water was mm. a, a pretty sweet move on their part, evolutionarily speaking. Yeah. And, and, and probably why they're still here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because they are so big and mm-hmm. they're not like little rodents that can hide and evade, get under oh, no. dens or anything like yeah. that. No, these are these are big rodents out on the banks of rivers and ponds and marshes and stuff. So very visible to any type of predator. Mm-hmm. But they've been successful. And then I found, the, it just brought me back to the beaver podcast because we, we did cover that. This is very common among rodents is their teeth just constantly, constantly grow. Yeah, and they're sharp, right? Mm-hmm. They're long and sharp, which, of course, is important for the capybara. We'll talk about nutrition for grazing yep. and what they have to do. But, yeah, I, I always I always picture the yellow or orange beaver teeth. I don't mm-hmm. I didn't find anything about the capybaras being so yellow or orange. Zinc, wasn't it? They were high in I zinc. think it was iron. Iron, iron. That's it, not mm-hmm. iron, zinc. It, yeah, one of the minerals. <laughs> it was here in, in beavers. <laughs> close, close. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, and they have to constantly gnaw to mm-hmm. keep those teeth down. So copybaras will chew on bark of trees. Sometimes some aquatic plants help trim them down. Tough grass or things like that. Or stones. Sometimes they, they can chew stones. So teeth are incredibly, incredibly sharp and incredibly strong. Now... Like I said in Why Care, copybaras are our grazers, so they do feed on a lot of grasses. And oh, and part, when you're yeah. when you're that big, you're mm-hmm. eating a lot of grasses, water plants, grasses per day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On average, eight pounds. That's a lot. Dude. That's like what I feed my horse, and we'll <laughs> eat that much per day. I mean, geez. Well, and here's something I found interesting about their eating behavior. Which I'm sure you would love to talk about, but copro, copro, ah, can I say it? Coprophagy. Poop eating. <laughs> they eat poop. I, there's a million different ways to say it. Some, base, some say copography, coprophagy. I think, there you go. I, can, I think copro, 
phagy is the best i think phagy, yeah okay mm-hmm. there you go so they do eat their their dung because yes mm-hmm. but it, i mean but it makes sense for them because they do their their feces does have a lot of undigested uh nutrients in it Fiber, and so yeah. if they re-ingest it that's going to they're going to get a second a second shot at it mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. chris the other fun nutrition fact i found about capybaras is that even though they're rodents and they're not related to ruminants, some of my favorites, they actually regurgitate their food and to chew it some more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're cut. And, mm-hmm. That's funny. And they chew their food side to side, uh, similar to like a camel rather or a cow, rather than up and down like we do. So when you're eating all these tough semi-aquatic plants, or aquatic plants, I should say, that material, it, it helps for it to once again get more chances to be broken down into smaller pieces. Because without going too much into the details, just if you're a visual person, the receptors for glucose and amino acids and other nutrients that are actually absorbed into an animal's system, they, yeah, the, smaller they, the smaller the plant material, the fiber, or whatever mm. they're eating is, the more, the more likely they are able to break it down into absorbable nutrients. Right. And I try to remind myself of that when I, I, I tend to eat really fast. Yeah, me too. And sometimes I'll re- think, did I even like chew that food? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a busy mom. I mean, you got three I babies. mean, that is yeah. true. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I need to slow down. And one of the reasons to slow down is it makes you feel fuller. But mm. then also the more you grind your food, the smaller the particles get. And then mm-hmm. when it does get, in, for us humans, when it gets into your small intestines, where you actually absorb a lot of the individual sugars, amino acids, mm-hmm. the fats, it's like if you think about surface area, that there's actually more parts for that. And your body's ability to use enzymes can break those larger chains of carbohydrates or mm-hmm. proteins or whatever they are down into smaller individual nutrients. And so... Mm-hmm. These capybaras got it figured out, and they yeah yeah they they regurgitate it uh, before it goes all the way down into their system, and then when they poop it out, they reeat it. So, <laughs> so they make sure they get every last. And then, well, and but look bit. at their body conditions. Like they yeah. have this, they all have like I have not seen a picture of a thin capybara. Yeah, capybara, no, no, no. I, I hope I never do because it'd make me cry. Mm-hmm. But uh, because their round barrel bellies and bodies are what is a big a big high point of their cuteness, yeah. and so yeah. Uh, yeah, they they got a lot of things going on for them. Well, the behavior, like we, we opened up with the, you know, the, the, the chirps and the barks and they mm-hmm. are very vocal, but there's some fun stuff. I mean, just the social large oh. family groups, like large, large groups. I mean, capybaras are super gregarious and all that means is social. And so they live in very stable social groups that will have both male and female capybaras. And a typical group might look something like this, where there's going to be seven females, a lot of little ones, and then three adult males. However, depending on where they live and the seasonality in South America, if it's like the dry season, they can congregate and you might see anywhere from 50 to 100 individuals. Mm -hmm. But normally the number suggests between 10 and 30. And within this strict social group of capybaras, the ones, let's just say there's like 10 or 30, there's going to be a lot of social hierarchy around the males. And there's typically one top ranking male. 
that is going to have a lot more access to females when it comes to breeding season. And so he's the top water pig or South American hippo or the, the capybara has lots of different names. The male is the top male. It will be kind of large and in charge. But in general, the group of capybara is very social, but they will have and defend a territory. And the territory is, of course, going to include wallowing sites and feeding sites. And the dominant male of that group is going to defend it by lots of vocalizations, which we'll talk about here in a second, or some of the ones we opened with, and, and chasing, chasing the other males away, and but very rarely fights. The capybara mm-hmm. is very peaceful, <laughs> typically, and not easily agitated. And the other thing that I found super fascinating about capybara social groups is they're stable, but they're also long-lasting. So some of these relationships in these groups uh, have been known to last for over three years, which is pretty, I mean, especially for a rodent, right? We're not talking about a wolf pack, right? Or a group of gorillas. I mean, this, these are rodents that have these really incredible social interactions and that work together and live together and defend their territory together, feed together. And I don't want to necessarily say that it's related, but there, of course, are a ton of capybara videos on YouTube, and I may have watched all of them. <laughs> you would. No, I do. But there's this whole this whole video series of basically capybaras being referred to as nature's ottoman or living chairs because other animals have recognized that mm-hmm. sitting on a capybara's fuzzy brown back and chunky, mind you, mm-hmm. that barrel-shaped body is where, where they want to be. So there's photos with birds, monkeys, rabbits, baby capybaras, <laughs> just, just literally lounging on these nature's ottomans or these living chairs of capybaras. And the capybara is just chilling he, on the side of the bank, just loving their life. They don't have cancer. They can swim if they want to. <laughs> They're super cute. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of friends, right? Uh, studies have shown the more social you are, it helps all these health benefits uh, and lead a happy and fulfilled life. The capybara has a lot figured out. And, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. why, like I said, I need to know one sometime in my lifetime. And I'm hoping that that will happen for me. <laughs> yep. 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 I think it's fascinating that they're in these big groups and poor you didn't get to see them like the, the leopard you'll never see in Africa. Maybe well, and I will say, and I will say to add to their behavior, they're, they're more crepuscular, which is mm-hmm. just a fancy word for they're typically act most active at dusk and dawn. And that's not when I was on Amazon the doing anything. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know. So. And I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing you. You can't see them all, but you know, yes, you can, Chris, it's <laughs> life goals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But, you know, I, I've just found it fascinating that they, they are very vocal and, you know, they're, it tends to be prey animals or animals that are preyed upon tend, not, tend to be quiet, you know, not very vocal. But these ones are, are, are vocal. They communicate Ouch. quite often. Yeah. Oh, incredibly vocal rodents, creatures in general. They use those chirps and whistles that we opened within the podcast mm-hmm. and then barks. They do purrs, huffs. And a lot of it, they, researchers think it's to help keep track of one another. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that bark is a first line of defense, a warning, uh, whether it's a prey animal or danger somewhere or they feel threatened. And if one barks, 
typically the whole group will start barking too until the danger is gone. Very, very vocal rodent. And honestly, researchers haven't really looked into it too much about the purpose of some of the other chirps and whistles and some called it singing. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's not technically singing like a Mm -hmm. bird. But I mean, there might be, maybe there's other stuff going on that we haven't even looked into about how, I mean, how they communicate or why they communicate. I know with squirrels, they're showing some fascinating research about different vocalizations and body languages to help tell other squirrels if it's a hawk or if it's a something coming from the sky or something coming from the land. I mean, mm-hmm. really advanced concepts, I think, when we actually dive into some, some of these uh, social animals and their vocalizations. So mm-hmm. stay mm-hmm. tuned as hopefully research will explore more of this. Besides vocalizations, the capybara really utilizes its sense of smell as a way to communicate several different things. And so... Capybaras are famous for two types of scent glands. They have what's called a morillo, and that's located on their snout. And mm-hmm. I'm going to talk a lot about that when we get into breeding behavior and courtship about the males. Both females and males have them. And they also have anal glands, which that's, we're pretty used to that. But yeah, yeah. This, this scent gland located on their snout is is just really important. And if you look at photos of male capybaras, you can see this lump on the top of their snout. And like I said, females have it as well, but in males, especially dominant males, it's much more pronounced and it secretes a white liquid. And it's thought that this liquid, of course, smells and it may act as like a chemical fingerprint about the status of the individual male. Like, is he number mm-hmm. one? Is he number two? Number three? Is How old he is? Just really important things if you're a capybara female and you're thinking about who you're going to breed with. And so what the male capybara will do is rub on different plants, trees, shrubs, wherever, to smear this white liquid over different plant surfaces that this is his area and this is his status, communicate to the females as well. And so really fascinating. And I, I did dork out about this because... <laughs> you, you're so into smell stuff. I know. Well, I just thought it was so fascinating that the dominant male has a more pronounced moria. And I couldn't mm-hmm. find anything physio- physiologically, like any papers on it. It probably has something to do with testosterone, right? The more dominant capybara is going to have more testosterone, maybe be bigger. But the fact that he his morea gland is more pronounced, so the nose looks mm. like has a bigger bump on it than the, than the subordinate males, is just really fascinating to me. And some other fun facts about capybaras and their breeding in general, of course, besides their big stinky nose. <laughs> Another reason why they're probably not a good pet, right? Oh my goodness. Uh, yikes. Mm-hmm. But Capybaras in general are polygonous and they're also promiscuous. And so they can breed throughout the year, depending on which region of South America they live in. But there's definitely going to be a higher breeding activity at the beginning of the rains. So during the rainy season, which makes sense because the grasses are coming in and there's Mm -hmm. more food for the females that will be nursing their pups. And so during this breeding season, remember, there's several males in the capybara family group 
But the dominant one is typically the one that breeds as many females as he wants. And so it was always thought that the male breeds all the females and that's just how it is. So this cool paper I found in the journal Mammalogy for 2020 is entitled Potential Female Mate Choice in Male-Dominated Systems, the Female Capybara. And what researchers did is they conducted behavioral data collections in uh, the savannas of Venezuela. And it was a huge, like, 50,000 hectare cattle ranch that floods and all these capybaras come in. And they focused on three different capybara groups that were around this ranch in different areas. And they were focused on their breeding behaviors from these three different groups. And what they found was super fascinating in that subordinate males, so the ones that were not dominant, would engage in much longer courtship rituals than top-ranking or the dominant males. And I should back up to also explain that the courtship behavior for the capybara is really complex for rodents. And in that, what typically happens is when it is breeding season and the hormones are running high, a male will typically follow a female capybara pretty closely, usually keeping his nose, his snout, touching her, that darling little nose. I just want to boop. He'll keep it <laughs> just right up, right yep, up, yep. right up next to her rump. <laughs> He's in, he tries in. So he'll follow her and he'll follow her for a long time and they'll just meander around. And if the female decides she likes the male, she'll enter a body of water. And the male will continue this following her process, which may last minutes and may be interrupted by other males in the meantime that are trying to stop the copulation. But if the male is successful, the capybaras actually copulate in water. Okay. That's interesting. Yep. And so... What's That's interesting known- for, a, for a land mammal. Yeah, but there's some aquatic, so yeah. Yeah, it yeah. is. So Chris, yeah, that got me thinking. If, I mean, they're a lot like hippos in other ways. Do you remember if hippos breed on land or in the water? They're big. They're much that's, bigger. That's like 200 episodes ago. I bet, hey, Here's a species I know for sure mates in the water. Orcas. They don't okay. come out of Ding, 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 ding. Good job. Good job. Orcas mate. And well, I would think hint- sea turtles because they're okay, very, very good. The hint is they're very similar to capybaras. Yeah, if capybaras do, I would assume hippos would too. There you go. Yeah, so hippos typically breed okay. in the water That's as crazy. well, which okay. makes sense because they're a little yeah. more buoyant. You know, that yeah, probably yeah, yeah. helps things out. Yeah, but if the female is being courted by a, a subordinate or non-dominant male capybara, it can be successful. However, researchers found that uh, up to 40% of the time, they would be interrupted by the top-ranking male or another really high-ranking male. And so the lower-ranked the lower ranked males, it's, it's very hard for them to do this complex, long courtship behavior mm-hmm. and not get basically interrupted. This paper I mentioned takes it another step further. And after really studying them for many hours and for many months and for a long time in several different family groups, what they found was, like I mentioned, these subordinate males, non-dominant males, would engage in much longer courtships than top-ranking males. So it's like they were trying harder because they needed to potentially impress the female and so that she would like agree to breed with them. 
Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. basically researchers took this and some other data that they found with courtship as far as how many attempts there were, if the copulation was successful, and some other data. And they basically surmised that they think the female has a lot more mate choice going on, even though there's it's this male-dominated system. Right, right. Of hierarchy. She's the one, yeah. Mm-hmm, yep. That she can still, yeah, she still has a lot of say in... Yeah, technically it should be the dominant male that breeds her because that's the story that we've always been told. But it's a lot more complicated than that. There's a lot more of this like either Bachelorette or mm. uh, what's another reality show right now? Uh, the Bachelor or whatever. Yeah, or like Love is Blind or I don't know, any of those um, Housewives of L.A. or something. I don't watch yeah, those, yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, but, but there's a lot more going on than meets the eye. And when the researchers really sat down and studied it, they found out that these subordinate males, yeah, they have these longer courtships and they're trying harder. They're not necessarily more successful, but mm-hmm. uh, it's all up to the female. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. She has but a say. Re- mm, she definitely has a say yeah. in the capybara world. And she also has, for the record, she does have that same snout scent gland. It's just not as prominent as the dominant male or, or males in general. But when she does get bred, her gestation period is 150 days, which for a rodent, that's a fair amount of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, a long time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And a capybara, her litter is going to range from anywhere from two to eight pups. And the young are born ready to stand and walk shortly after birth. They'll start grazing within a week. Mm-hmm. So pretty that's good. Quick. And, yeah, mm-hmm. that's quick. Yeah. And after about three months, a capybara will be weaned. But I think it's really awesome to mention that young capybaras, even though they're weaned, they will stay within their parents' group till they're a year old. Mm-hmm. So very different from other species of rodents yeah. in that they are on, with yeah. them. I mean, yep. that's incredible. And then what's also fascinating is they wean or they nurse until they're three months old, but they'll also suckle from other other capybaras that aren't their mom, other females in the group. They're mm-hmm. typically going to be closely re- related, but it doesn't have to be their mom. So there's a lot of parental cooperation in there, which once again for a rodent is just really, really fascinating, like how socially adapted they are and, yeah. and how yeah. this system works so well for them. You know, safety in numbers and safety. In, I mean, goodness gracious, I wish I had a couple other moms living in my house with me that I could yeah, hand off my with. kiss. Go ahead, take care sure, of them. Sure, I don't yeah. even care. Nurse off them, yeah. whatever. <laughs> like, help help a lady out. Oh, geez, I'm, I'm over here trying to get my uh, PhD. And, you, know, yep, so. yep, you were. Um, but yeah, really, really fascinating. And by anything about paternal care, capybaras. So if any of our listeners out there are experts in capybaras or have worked with them, uh, if the dad plays a role, let me know. I mean, he definitely plays a role in keeping the group safe by by helping warn for predators and all of that but i don't i don't know if he necessarily actually helps i mean take care of the uh, of the baby captive bears mm-hmm. and the babies do stay with the family until they're a year old because i mean as chris mentioned an adult capybara can be a prey item for really large predators in south america but baby capybaras are on the yeah. menu for a Several. lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. A so lot it's more. it's it, it, yeah. yeah, it's tough to be a baby capybara, yeah. and yeah. I think that that's probably why they evolved this family group that helps 
keep a close eye on them and keep them near. And of course, this communication system that we're still learning a lot more about with the capybaras. And then what's also fascinating too, when you think about rodent reproduction, I mean, my goodness, like a, a mouse can start breeding, I think when they're like four or five months old, I think. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I don't know. It's quick though. It's fast. They have a it's very super quick, quick. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so for- with mm-hmm, with capybaras, they don't reach sexual maturity until they're about eighteen months old, so like a year and a half. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. much much longer time, a much longer investment into their offspring. So their generation in- interval for a rodent is is pretty slow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for a rodent, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, and they are the largest rodent on earth, so they're the mm-hmm. kings and queens. Uh, the good thing, the good news is, is, is as far as conservation goes, they're doing well. The general copybearer, the lesser copybearer, we don't have any data on. So the fact that you can't find them in Venezuela, they are in Colombia and parts of Panama, meaning that they, they could be endangered. We just don't know yet. And then there are certain regions where copybearers are threatened because they're of human exploitation. Obviously you know, bulldozing the the rainforest or these other forests isn't helping them. So, you know, overall they're doing well throughout the range, but again, some concerns there. So we will keep our eyes to that, to the species. Now the organization, we went with the Tropical Forest Alliance and you can find them at tropicalforestalliance.org. And basically what they are, again, the forest, the Amazon, the Grand Chaco, all of these are so important to the peoples of South America. The indigenous peoples of South America, I remember reading that on the El Chaco, they're threatened with that force being cut down. So the Tropical Forest Alliance is working with uh, multiple NGOs. They are working with the World Economic Forum. They have companies, governments, Indigenous tribes, local communities, other organizations working together to promote forest positive collective action to protect these forests from being bulldozed for soybean crops or beef cattle grazing. They are working very hard to protect these native habitats of South America. So they are actually working throughout the world, but really specifically want to focus on South America, uh, doing a lot of great stuff. So please check them out, the Tropical Forest Alliance. And I just want to say, you know, like almost every species we cover, there's somebody out there fighting to protect their habitat. They're protecting these animals. They're spreading the message like Angie and I are through education. So feel positive. I know the news is never good. And whenever it comes to animal conservation, endangered species, climate change, all of these complex issues, realize there it's not just us and you, the listener. There are millions of people, billions of people around the earth right now fighting hard to to save our planet and our ecosystems. So so take heart and and you know realize there there is a lot of good work going on around us. Absolutely. And 2023 is a new year. We all have something we can add. It can be as simple as sharing some of this information. It could be getting involved locally in your community, getting in your own backyard. Maybe you make a bad house. Maybe you plant some uh, native plants for pollinators. 
Maybe you start recycling if you're not already doing that. Looking at your carbon footprint. I mean, there's a lot. We don't all have to travel to South America to Mm -hmm. take awesome data on capybaras, which I want to do that. I want want to be that person (laughs) and those researchers that did that study, but I'm not, and that's okay. Like there's still other things. We all have different talents. Maybe you're an artist and you can get involved that way by volunteering some of your time, or if you're good with digital elements, that's my hope for 2023, that everybody just does one little thing that's that's doable and manageable, Mm -hmm. and then to help collectively better the planet, save these species, uh, help the environment, and so on. Yep, yep. Well, stay tuned for next week. I know where we're going and I know what we're covering. So I'm very excited to start my research uh, here tomorrow. But I will start uh, watching those YouTube videos, looking up those scientific papers. So stay tuned for that. Take care. Thank you, everyone, for listening, caring, and sharing. We really appreciate it. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.